Amen. I absolutely love that song. That is a powerful song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Once again, let me express my appreciation uh, to every one of you who are here today. It's a lot easier to preach to a full church than an empty one. So thank you very much for being here. You just wait till your father gets home. You're getting a spanking when we get home. Go up to your room and wait for me. These are three sentences that are direct quotes from my childhood. They were spoken to me by my mother and my father. And I, yes, he he must have had the same dad. Uh, And I will tell you that these three sentences, whenever I would hear them, would bring absolute dread into my heart. I don't know if you can relate a little bit with me, but it was the kind of dread that caused a taste in my throat. It was that kind of fear. I knew that something bad was about to happen. See, I had every reason to dread if any of those three sentences happened, especially that sentence. When I was sent up to my room to wait for my father, it was a certainty that he would show up. And it wasn't to be nice to me at that very moment. It is because I did something that made me deserve to be punished. And I will tell you, my dad was never an abuser. My mother, uh, my mother was in other ways, but my father was never an abuser. But when he punished me, he didn't play around. So my dad believed in the old axiom, if I'm going to spank you, you're going to know I've been there. And as I have told you before, one of the worst sounds that, that, that still will put the hair on the back of my neck up is the sound of a man removing his belt. My dad would wait. I would wait in that room and I just knew what would happen. And sure enough, he'd walk up there. He'd be talking. He said, now, son, you know, you shouldn't have done that. And he'd start reaching for that skinny black leather belt. And it just caused such dread in me. And some of you are relating because you had similar childhoods. And you know what it is to feel that, to almost taste the fear in your heart. And as an adult now, there are still sentences that have the power to produce dread in me. Your root canal is now scheduled. It's an awful thing. And I, oh, just the thought of it. Honey, an IRS auditor is at the door. That would put dread in some of us. Or you're invited to a baby shower. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking about that. But I just saw somebody go, oh, no, not that, right? Of course, I'm joking a little bit. But life can have potentially frightening possibilities to it, right? And there are some things that none of us want to think about. There are scenarios that we don't even want to enter into our mind because just Thinking about them make us uncomfortable. Every time I heard about certain tragedies that were going on around me in the head, head, uh, headlines or something like that, there would be something in, my, in me that would say, oh, I hope that never happens to somebody I love. Or I hope that never happens to me. I was sitting just last Sunday watching the Super Bowl when suddenly my screen on the TV went blue and there was an amber alert. And maybe you remember what happened. A three-year-old little girl was minding her business, sitting in her family car, and the car was hijacked. 
And I just, man, my heart, I immediately began to cry out to God, please protect this little girl. Please keep her safe, oh God, let her be found safe. And I just was thinking, that is one scenario that I would never want to have happen to me. You know what I'm talking about. It's that kind of thing that can happen. And we just don't even want to think about the possibilities of things like that happening. Most of us try to push those kinds of things out of our mind. Well, last week we started a new series in our church, a new sermon series, and um, it's called The Elephant in the Room. So if any of you were not here last week and you happened to notice this standing here, maybe you thought, what in the world is that doing there? And it's in the way. It's weird. Why, why would any church put an elephant in the room? And um, I have a friend who owns that and lent it to me, and I wanted to just put it up here. And, and it is for effect. It is for us to look at and to see. But I want to, I, I, it represents something to us. We're talking about the fact in this series that many, for many people, Christianity has issues. And it creates an elephant in the room in our culture. By Christianity today, I'm referring more specifically to the teachings of Jesus Christ and other biblical teachings. So I'm speaking about what is taught in this book. And being honest, though, there are a whole lot of people who would describe themselves as Christian, yet have issues with some of the things that are mentioned in the book. And for them, there's an elephant in the room. And I would suggest to you that that is something that we as a church need not shy away from, but maybe need to examine. I made this statement last week. Just because somebody attends a church service and they're sitting and listening to a preacher like me pontificate and spit all over the crowd and all of that, just because I'm preaching something, it does not necessarily mean that everybody is aligning 100% with everything that the preacher is saying. There's an elephant in the room. There are times when we struggle with the truths of the Bible. And I will tell you that for this uh, for this particular series, I'm not going to try to defend the validity of the Bible being the word of God. What I believe God would have me to do is simply tell you what's in here. And when we hit certain hot uh, hot button topics as it relates to Christianity, I want for for uh, I want with God's help to explain to you what at least the Bible says. And I'll let you decide what you will do with that. That's the elephant in the room. Sometimes the Bible is the elephant in the room for some of us. We struggle, but I at least feel like I need to explain what the Bible teaches. Last week, we looked at the elephant in the room that tell, told us when Jesus said to us directly, and, and he preached this a couple of times in a couple of different ways, if you can't forgive your fellow man, then your Father in heaven won't forgive you. That's an elephant in the room. Because there's a lot of people that, that struggle on that, on that plane. They've been so deeply hurt. But there it is. Jesus said it. And so what I did was last week share about that. The fact that we can't have forgiveness from God until we are willing to open our hearts to forgive others. And Jesus preached it. You see, there's a scenario that I feel pretty certain that you've heard about. And I would submit that many people in our world try very hard not to ever think about it. It is our elephant in the room this week. 
And I want to talk to you about it. I want to talk to you today about Judgment Day. I want you to look with me, if you will, in Romans chapter 14. And I want to begin by reading verse 8. Romans 14, 8. If we live, we live for the Lord, the scripture tells us. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. This creates an elephant in the room with people sometimes to think that there is a day coming, according to the Bible, where every human being will have to stand before God the judge. And we will be there for him to look at what we have done and what we have said and for him to pass judgment on our lives. It's not a popular thing for preachers to preach about. And I'll be very honest with you. uh, This isn't the kind of sermon that I get up saying, man, I can't wait to preach this kind of sermon. I'd rather preach to you some of the fun things that the scripture tells and the great stories that the scripture gives us. But I don't want to one day be standing at judgment day and have some of you look at me and say, why did you never tell us about this, Pastor Ken? Why have you never talked about this? Today I'm talking about it. It's the elephant in the room. And it's something we don't often like to think about. It's one of those things that we want to kind of push away. But it is a complete fact that the Bible teaches judgment day will happen. It clearly claims in the word of God that every single human being will be accountable on that day for what we have done while we've been here on earth. It's it, according to the Bible, is a sobering certainty. And I, I know that it's difficult for us to hear. There are many passages in both the Old and New Testaments of the Bible, at least referring to the fact that Judgment Day is coming. And some of them are very descriptive. I won't cover them all, but I want to share some of them. These verses from Romans 14 are plainly stating it's going to happen. It is as certain that this day will occur as the day that we are living in. It is a certainty that we will do it. All of humanity will one day stand before God's judgment seat to be judged. It's a scenario that makes people uncomfortable. And, and it's not a popular thing to hear in our culture today. But there it is. And it's been taught in the scripture in many places. Hebrews chapter 9, 27 just tells us that each human being is destined to die one time. And then after that, face the judgment. In the Old Testament, in Psalms 98, we find these words. And you'll see them on the screen from uh, Psalm 98, 7 through 9. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in equality or equity, I should say. So that's our... Our elephant in a room. It's a sobering certainty. 
We're going to meet our creator one day. And we're going to be judged by him. So I submit that it's worth a little bit of time to learn a little bit about this day. It's worth a little bit of effort to talk about this elephant that is in the room. What will it be like? What will it be on Judgment Day? What will the experience be like? I want to start with Revelation chapter 20. And we'll look at verse 11. And I hope that this is helpful to us. Verse 11 of Revelation 20 says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. And I just want to pause right there. I want us to kind of understand that what the scripture is telling us is that God is an awesome God. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead. Great and small, standing before the throne, the books were open. Another book was open, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. What an incredible thing it will be when every human being will stand before the Lord God. I've often gotten pretty sad when I've talked to um, people that I've grown up with and others who have talked to me a little bit about Judgment Day. I've, I've sometimes have brought this subject up with them. And I've had some people say to me, well, I'll tell you what's going to happen to me. I'm not bowing. And I'm not going to. I'm going to give God a piece of my mind. Who is he to judge me? What, what, What kind of ego trip is God on that I'm going to stand before him and he's going to judge me? And I've had people say those things. And I don't mean to sound unkind, but they speak in so much ignorance. Because they have no concept of what it's going to be like to suddenly be before the creator of all creation. It is an intense thing to be in the presence of almighty God. And here's what's going to happen to every one of us. I believe every word of the Bible. We're not going to stand there with a thought in our mind saying, I'm going to give God a good piece of my mind. No, the only thing you're going to want to do is press your face as low as you can and bow. Nobody's going to have to force you. The angels will be there. Nobody will force you down. It will be because you are in the presence of almighty God. And you know you're a human being and that this is the creator of all of the universe and the only thing you will want to do is get down and bow before him it won't be just like an instinct it will be more compelling than that i've had privileges to be in a few services in my lifetime where god's presence just i don't know how else to explain it where god just stuffed himself into a room And I felt his presence. Nobody prompted me. Nobody prompted the rest of the people with me. But suddenly, all of us were getting down on our faces. 
and bowing before the Lord God. It was as natural as taking our next breath because we were in awe of the presence of the Lord God. We didn't see him. We didn't hear his voice. All we did was sense his mighty presence. When the Holy Spirit is present before us, when God Almighty is present before us, the glorified Jesus Christ is our judge, we will bow. And our tongues will begin to confess out loud like the demons did when Jesus was about to cast them out. You are the Son of God, the Holy One. And that will flow out of our mouths. Not because we're forced to do it. And not because we're robots. But because that's what we will want to do. And it saddens me when I think about people who think that somehow they're able to skirt around the judgment of God. It's a frightening thing. It is a scenario, and I want you to understand that the Bible is clear. This is a sobering certainty for us. And I will tell you that scholars are still debating some of the details of what the Bible teaches about Judgment Day because no one knows everything except the Lord, and there are some who want to argue the timing of it. And I'm not going to dive into that because it's inconsequential. Here's what we need to know. It's going to happen. And whether it happens tomorrow or it happens a hundred years from now, it's going to happen. And that's what I want us to focus in on today. It is a certainty that Judgment Day is on its way for us. It's going to happen to us. And it is going to be an incredible event. I want to zero in then on what is clear about Judgment Day. And I've already mentioned one of them, the first point that I'll make. It is a certainty. It is certain that every human being will be judged by God. We read it here in Romans 14. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to acknowledge the Lord. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. And I don't think that I can give much justice to you or do much justice to you as to how it will feel for any of us. Just the spectacle of seeing the Lord God face to face will be like nothing we've ever experienced. Please know that on that day you will be overwhelmed and you'll bow before him. And that's how it's going to be. All people, great and small, will be there. And you will never experience anything like this again. Not until and not again. This will be a unique experience for every one of us. Nothing compares to Judgment Day. The second thing that I want to share with you is it is certain that we will be judged rightly by God. Psalm 89, 9, let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. You see, what the Bible teaches us is that Jesus is a flawless judge. And he has absolute perfect knowledge of us. And because of that, final judgment that he passes will be final. And there'll be no appeals. Once Jesus passes judgment, that is it. That is the end. When you and I appear before the judgment seat of the Lord, the Bible tells us that books will be open. And I don't know. Often in the Bible, for example, when you read in in Ezekiel about a wheel within a wheel, 
Those are words used to describe heavenly things. They're earthly words. And so it might not really be wheels. It looks like a wheel to the writer. And it could be actual books that have the record, or it could be something that reminds the, 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 the writer, the person who penned it, of the books, of books. But anyway, there will be a record that will be open. And when you and I are judged, we will stand before the Lord and everything that we have done will be on record. And it is, it is recorded flawlessly. Everything that we have done will be there for the Lord to see. And, and there are no mistakes about it. We're not going to be able to tell the Lord, you misunderstood what I did. It will be there as clearly as it can be. The books will have a record of all that we have done and all that we have said. Romans twenty thirteen, the latter part, uh, each person was judged according to what they had done. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, these words. But I tell you that everyone will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. And when I read these words, I'm just being honest with you, that dread feeling can come up within me. I say to myself, "Uh uh-oh, because I think about some of the careless words that I have thrown out there in my life. And the Bible is making it very clear that that is going to be there. A book, books will be there that has recorded this. Please understand that, that that is so. Also, Jesus taught us that the word of God is going to be present on judgment day for you. John chapter 12, verse 48. There is a judge for one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them on the last day. So the words of God are going to be present as well. So please understand that if you've been exposed to the word of God, you have a responsibility to receive it as truth and to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. You have a responsibility to accept and believe that. And the word of God itself will judge us because some of us have not. His very words will be used in judging us. And one other book will be opened there on Judgment Day called the Lamb's Book of Life. And anyone whose name was not found written in the Book of Life was thrown into the lake of fire. My point is in this is that there will be no mistake made in Christ's judgment on us. Romans 2.16 tells us that our very secrets will be made known. Matthew 10.26 plainly tells us that nothing that has been concealed Uh, will fail to be disclosed and nothing hidden will fail to be made known. That is a sobering certainty. It's also certain that each one of us will immediately go to where we will spend eternity, right after judgment. Right at judgment is when our eternal destiny is determined and we will go. Now, later on in this series, you're going to hear me preach about where people spend eternity. But for now, I'll tell you that judgment will be the final, will, will, will finalize the destination for eternity for me, for you, for each and every person. The Bible teaches that once judgment is executed, it's done. That's it. It's over. And it's set for all eternity. The concept of time will be no more. 
There will be no more time measuring or marking. Um, It is why, in my estimation, that being ready for Judgment Day is everything. And I'm praying to God that you won't fail to repent before the Lord of your sins. You can come forward, if you will. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 21, has a wonderful verse that brings us hope today. But if a wicked, wicked person turns away from all the sins they have committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, that person will surely live and they will not die. I'm asking you to, if you haven't paid much attention, to pay attention to me right now and, and, and hear what I'm about to tell you. I've just got done telling you that judgment is a certainty and that we're all going to be there. And I've just got done telling you that everything we've done has been recorded. And every careless word that we have thrown out there has been recorded. That God is perfectly aware of what I have said and what you have said and what you have done and what I have done. And we're getting judged on that. I have said to you, that we all will be there before God and he will cast judgment. So everything I did will be revealed except for the fact that God sent Jesus Christ into the world and one day his love ran red on a cross and he shed blood and the sins that I have committed will not be remembered against me if they are under the blood of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good news today? Isn't it a good thing to know that those things that you and I would cringe for anybody else to know can be washed away through the blood of Jesus Christ? You see, God so loved the world that is, although we all would deserve, none of us could stand at the judgment seat of God in and of our own strength. Amen? None of us are holy enough. None of us are good enough to stand before a God who judges our thoughts, a God who judges our words. We couldn't do it. But the grace of God and the love of God sent Jesus. And Jesus died on a cross and shed his blood to put those things we don't want be used against us in judgment to put them under his blood and we can have a relationship and a righteousness that doesn't come from us it comes from God himself amen and here's what I'm saying you can be ready for the judgment you can stand and be judged on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for you his blood ran red And he covered your sins if you believe, if you accept, if you repent, if you confess your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all of those sins. So they won't be brought up on judgment day because of Jesus. And it's going to be a beautiful thing when some of you are standing before the Lord and the Lord uh, God is casting judgment and, and Jesus says, Well, Kip has put his sins under my blood. And he's one of mine. And those things can't be remembered, can't even be brought up anymore. I've taken them away. And I've cast his sins as far as the east is from the west. And they no longer are part of who Kip is. He's not defined as that man anymore. He's defined as my son, my child. And he's forgiven. 
Man, what a powerful moment that will be for us. Amen. And when he says to those of us whose blood has covered our sin, we have trusted in him to forgive us and we have exercised faith. When he looks at us and says to us, enter into the joys that I have prepared for you, the place that I made ready for you. I'm telling you, I don't know about you. I'm not wired like the rest of you and you're not wired like me. But I think everybody is going to hear the shout that comes out of this mouth as I go running through the gates of glory, clicking my heels and celebrating the goodness of God. I'm saying to you, you don't have to dread that day if you know Jesus Christ. His love ran red for you. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you opportunity to examine your heart before God. I'm asking you to just simply bow your heads and close your eyes before the Lord. I just wonder with nobody bothering anybody and nobody will be looking around. Is there somebody here? And here's here's the action you're going to take. And it's going to indicate something. If you put your hand in the air, you are saying, I am trusting Jesus Christ to forgive my sins. I'm asking him to take my sin away. And I am trusting him to forgive all of my sins right this very moment. You slip your hand up in the air. Don't look around. I am trusting him to take my sins away and forgive them so that I can stand on judgment day. Many hands in the air. Jesus, I'm trusting you right now. I'm trusting you. Lord, forgive me. Lord, have mercy on my soul. Forgive me, Father. Please, Lord, I want to be ready when you when you um, lead me to judgment day and I stand before you. I thank you. You can put your hands back down. And I want you to know that I will remember you in prayer this week as you have trusted the Lord in, in, for your, your sins to be wiped away. And I want you to know if you believe that Christ is able to do that and you believe he loves you and you trust him, he has done the work for you. He has forgiven you. And you have a clean heart and a clean slate. But repentance is more than just getting the clean slate. Repentance is walking away from the things that you know aren't of God. Amen? That's part of this. So let's not just go away and say, okay, good. Got my fire insurance. I'm good to go. And... um. I can go back to just doing rotten things that God hates. No, we need to turn and follow him. Amen. That's that part of this. It's a relationship with him. Father, help us today. Thank you for your faithfulness to us and your love for us. Thank you for the, the power of your word. And even when it's uncomfortable and even when it creates an elephant in the room for us, Lord, we need to hear it. So thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us now. We ask you to particularly minister to those who have believed in and trusted in you for salvation today. Lord, I pray that they will walk out with a witness in their spirit that something really transpired as they believed and they trusted in you. Lord, whatever the case, may all of us go out of here at least being reminded that a certainty is judgment. Bless us now as we leave in Jesus' name. Amen.